Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkandstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership singer, Jimmy Bo Horn, best known for the 1978 classic hit, Dance Across the Floor. With his first two albums produced, written, written by, and featuring Harry Wayne Casey and Richard Finch of Casey and the Sunshine Band, he delivered other catchy and funky tracks like Give Me Some, Get Happy, Spank, you Get Me Hot, and Is It In. Those helped set the pace of the era's Miami dance sound. Horn continued to release new music into the 1990s. Jimmy, thank you for joining me. How are you? Oh, listen, it's a privilege for me to be here, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. So glad you could uh, join the conversation. And uh, where are you coming to us from today? I'm down in West Palm Beach, Florida enjoying the sun and all the fun and the weather's nice here so i'm ready to go <laughs> outstanding yeah um well i want to take it back and uh, talk a little bit about uh, your your roots and your beginnings um i know you grew up in the florida uh, palm beach area is that correct that's correct down in west palm beach florida um graduated from uh, Roosevelt High School, got a music scholarship, went to Bethune-Cookman College, left uh, Bethune-Cookman College, uh, got my degree, uh, worked as a youth counselor for the Division of Youth Services for about, oh, I want to say three, four years, and then I got the bug. And that bug was I wanted to do music full time because I had already been signed to TK Records in Miami. Wow. Well, um, who are some of your uh, favorite artists growing up? You know, who are some of your uh, idols and, and musical heroes that you looked up to? I, you know, I was inspired always by Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, definitely James Brown. Um, and I loved Wilson Pickett, 
Bobby Womack, uh, artists that had that kind of energy. And they had horns in their band. I love horns. And I later got into the ballads that I liked was like Arthur Prysock, um, Roy Hampton, uh, Johnny Mathers. And I always loved a lot of different kinds of music. So just to name a few. And one of my favorite songs was done by an artist by the name of Ben E. King, the song Stand By Me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, do you remember who was the uh, first artist that you saw perform that really left an impression on you? James Brown. James Brown. Yeah, I hear that from so many folks, you know, that that was the first one and just inspired them so much because, uh, man, what an entertainer. I'm telling you, see, he just had everything. I mean, from the way he performed, the, his look, the way he dressed. Um, I just fell in love with the fact that he is truly Mr. Dynamite. Now, when you saw him, Jimmy, uh, had he yet gotten into the funk, or was he still just pretty much R&B at that point? At that time, I was really, really sold on the way James Brown performed and how he was so funky. Another group that uh, I liked was the Temptations, um, the, the Whispers, and a lot of other groups that actually brought different kinds of music. But with James Brown... I could stand in the back of my father's truck and act like I had a microphone and try to do those James Brown dances. I loved him. You recall your first time, you know, really up on stage performing for, you know, several people say, and when it kind of clicked with you that, man, I really want to go after this. There used to be in Fort Lauderdale, there used to be a, high school, Dillard Jim. And I got an opportunity through a gentleman by the name of Joe Fisher, who was one of the program directors and quite popular in the Tri-County area. He put me on a show with Wilson Pickett at that show. And I opened the show. Uh, I was amazed because people knew me and people knew my song. Another time was when I performed with the late Betty Wright who was already signed on the label. And I performed with her, opened up the show, and her manager at that time was a gentleman by the name of uh, Willie Clark. And he saw me, and they took me to Mr. Henry Stone and Steve Alamo. And that was the beginning of my family in Miami in terms of the TK artist that was actually comprised of uh, Mr. Bobby Caldwell, Benny Lattimore, um, Betty Wright, Timmy Thomas, and many, many more. Now, Jimmy, didn't you release some singles uh, prior to TK? Yes, because I had writers, uh, Clarence Reed, the late Clarence Reed, and Willie Clark, who wrote songs for me like Street Corners, uh, If You Want My Love. One of my first songs was the song, I Can't Speak. 
And that was uh, written by Clarence Reed and Willie Clark and produced by Brad Shapiro at that time and Steve Alamo. So when you made the connection with uh, TK, did, did you have to audition or uh, were you just seen? Uh, you know, how did that go down? I, I was actually seen and it was the show that I did with Betty Wright. And Betty Wright and Mr. Willie Clark went back to Mr. Henry Stone and told Mr. Stone about my performance opening up for Betty Wright. Mr. Joe Fisher was the one that took me down to TK and told Mr. Stone about my gift. And at that time, I didn't have to perform. The next thing I did was I had to make the appointments to come down and Terrence Reed and Willie Clark tried me out on some songs and let me know my first song was going to be I Can't Speak. Then the next one after I Can't Speak was Street Corners. After Street Corners, If You Want My Love. After If You Want My Love, Get Happy. After Get Happy, it was music to make love by. But at that time, the music scene was changing and disco came in. So in order for TK Records to have a disco artist, they basically, Henry Stone did, asked Harry Wayne Casey of Casey and the Sunshine Band to come up and write some music for me. That would give me an opportunity to get into that market of disco because Mr. Casey, Harry Wayne Casey used to open shows for me with the R and B records. That's interesting. Um, what, so what year did you get signed to TK? Uh, it was in 1968, 69. Wow. And what was Betty Wright? Like, did you get much uh, exposure to her? She was like my musical little sister. Um, she was already on the label. Uh, Clarence Reed and Willie Clark were producing her. Betty was brilliant. And she was the kind of artist that wrote lyrics. Uh, she could sing, as everybody knows. And she could come up with storylines. But all of us were like a family. If there was a recording session, if she needed backup vocals, you'd find Benny Lattimore, you'd find Jimmy Bohorn, you'd find whoever helping that artist. Because back during that time, a, a lot of different labels used the artists that were signed to help other artists that was on the label. It was and, a family. Uh-huh. I get that. And what was, uh, what was your first encounter with Harry Wayne Casey like? Uh, my first encounter was I went to uh, a rehearsal and I was doing a date over in Tampa and I was rehearsing in Miami. The band that I was rehearsing with was a band that I used to always go out. And when I go out and do dates, I'd use this band. That band was the Ocean Liners. The Ocean Liners was auditioning a lead singer, which happened to be Harry Wayne Casey. When um, I took the Ocean Liners over to Tampa, Mr. Casey 
was opening the show for me because he had made the audition with the ocean liners and I took the group over to Tampa in taking them over to Tampa after the show, Mr. Casey came to me and said, Mr. Bohorn, one day I'm going to write songs for you. I said, Oh yeah. Okay. I said, great kid. And lo and behold, he wrote the majority of most of my songs that crossed over to disco. And he wrote a ballad. Uh, well, he arranged a ballad because the ballad belonged to Burt Bacharach. And it was the close to you that I came back and covered later on. But it was a pleasure meeting him because he loved R&B music. And most of the songs that he wrote for me were songs point blank that were songs that people loved. And those songs took me to places that I'd never been before, like Iceland. Uh, it took me to Sao Paulo, Brazil. It took me to Italy, uh, Germany, and a lot of other places. Because he used to be in the group that later came to TK called the Sunshine Junkanoo Band, which later became the Sunshine Band. Were, were you surprised when uh, the Sunshine Band blew up like they did? I was happy because <laughs> I knew that with him writing like he did and the success of the Sunshine Band, being in a family, that meant point blank that when he went out on tour and he wrote songs for me that I was going out on that same tour. It was like coming full circle. In the R&B market, he opened shows for me. In the market that was the pop market, I opened shows for him. Hmm. What was the uh, atmosphere like around uh, the TK Records family? It was really a family atmosphere. You'd come to the studio, it'd be like visiting, you know, your relative's house. You'd see Bobby Caldwell talking with Benny Lattimore. You'd see Lattimore uh, conversing with Timmy Thomas. You'd see Timmy Thomas there uh, running across artists that came through the studio, uh, for, for instance, Sam and Dave. It was, uh, uh, it made you feel like, yeah, I want to be there. I'm, if I'm not even recording, I want to be there because it was a family atmosphere. Everybody helped everybody else. Sounds like it was an amazing time and place. Man, listen, it's times that I treasure. And it was times that at the label, you were taught, and I mean taught, that, look, although we family... We have to compete and you have to compete against yourself to get the best out of yourself. And we have to basically understand that this is all about business and this is all about learning. That was the part that was so significant for me that I got an opportunity to see professionals, learn from professionals, be around professionals and meet people at TK that I know I would normally not get the opportunity to, to meet because James Brown had a label with Henry Stone called uh, Brownstone Records. Imagine what it is to be in the studio and you know James Brown is on the property. 
or Ralph McDonald is on the pop property. Did, did you eventually get to meet James Brown? Oh, I did uh, a date with Mr. Brown calling to have Mr. Bohorn to come to Georgia and play at his club, the third world. And I did a date with James Brown at the Miami um, arena, not the Miami, at the orange bowl arena. I'm sorry. Well, you must've had to pinch yourself after, you know, uh, seeing him so young and then eventually being shoulder to shoulder with him. He was, you know, he was warm and, you know, when you're starstruck, he was warm and, and gave you advice and he took time with you and told you, yeah, Mr. Bohorn, you know, if you, if you're out here in music, you need to know the definition of music and the show business. I said, yes, sir. He said, the definition of show business is that you have to do the business first so you can show up to do the show. I never forgot that. Uh, love that. <laughs> So, Jimmy, tell us about uh, the memories you have and the process of, um, you know, recording the Dance Across the Floor album. We were in the studio. At that time, KC um, had his own studio called Sunshine Sound. And it was a division of TK when everything began to, to really, really hit. It was where KC was financially able to get his own studio. Mr. Stone asked Mr. KC to write for me. We'd go to KC's studio and in Mr. KC's band was this incredible guitar player called Jerome Smith. Also uh, one of the members of the uh, Sunshine Band that was really the Ocean Liners Band. When we indicated that you know what we just gonna groove just gonna make up some grooves and they would be in there just grooving and making music and one night we were working and rehearsing late and i had to drive back to palm beach the next day mr casey called me um at that time miss sherry smith was his administrator mr jimmy bohorn we got a hit for you Come on down. So I drove down from West Palm Beach, got there, stayed overnight. Uh, when I came into the studio, I heard the horns. I say, ooh, ooh, that song is definitely for me. Well, we're going we're gonna to cut it, and we're going to put your voice on it. Here's the lyric sheet. I did that song. That, I enjoyed that song so much. Ooh, that song, I felt it. And everybody was dancing in the studio. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I was in high school at that time, and I well remember, you know, first hearing that track and, and really liking it right off the get-go. Um, it was just so yes. so infectious, you know, and uh, um, a great a great track. You know, I loved um, music like that that, um, you know, was aimed at the dance floor but uh, was a little funkier than some of the real hardcore disco. You know what I mean? Yeah, because see, in, in Miami, you had a multiplicity of different uh, cultures of music. And at that time, uh, with those funky horns on there and 
with the rhythm section creating that funk. Uh, it was like a new breed of music because what Mr. Harry Wayne Casey and Rick Finch, their whole thought was about, let's make happy music. Let's make music that people can dance to and people can instantly take that feeling of, hey, I'm happy, I'm dancing, I'm forgetting about my troubles. It was that kind of time to where he didn't want to make any songs that were sad songs. He wanted to make songs that were happy, energetic songs. I was glad that he made those kind of songs for me. Hmm. And so during the process of, of making the entire record, um, was that song the first song and the rest came later or, you know, sometimes the hit song is actually the last one added. What was the sequence of making that whole album? We did, we did, um, dance across the floor, um, first, and we did, uh, another song that was, um, my song called Gimme Some. And when we did Gimme Some, it broke, and did gold in Montreal, Canada, and parts of uh, Brazil, also in um, Spain. So the order was in, in 1978 or so, it was Gimme Some on the Sunshine label, Sunshine Sound label, uh, Dance Across the Floor, Is It In? Um, you get me hot. That was real funky with those horn parts. And then when we did the first dance across the floor, um, album, we point blank put songs on there, like close to you, uh, want to go home with you. And we did some, uh, songs that felt like the George McRae song that KC later did on uh, George McRae, which was Rock Your Baby. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jimmy, you mentioned about happy music, and the first track on that album was called Get Happy. Yeah, and the Get Happy song was a song that, again, fooling around in the studio, and everybody point blank said, man, that's a good groove. What could we come up with? And came up with Get Happy. Just fooling around in the studio, dancing. It was never a thing where you walk in the door and instantly you say, okay, we're getting ready to record a hit. It was where the groove would start and it was where you just didn't know what you were going to come up with. But when it started to groove and it felt right, that's when Rick Fitch would say, hey, we need to record that. Now, where were you and what were you doing when you first heard one of your songs on the radio? <laughs> uh, I was in West Palm Beach and the radio station that covered Palm Beach County and Broward County was a station called WRBD Radio. Um, some, some friends of mine who lived down the street from me said, oh, you're on the radio. And I was like, really? And it felt to me like 
wow, I have made it. Just hearing it on, on the radio made me think that, wow, I have made it. Because then it was the beginning of now I can take serious the fact that now I've got a product that basically has my name on it and they're playing it on the radio. I even remember when they played it on the radio and there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Crown Prince, McKinley Williams, and he set the record up, introduced Eat Papa Da, this is the crown, back on the scene with the record machine. Correct time now, 9.15. We got another one better than the other one with Jimmy Bohorn and dance across the floor. I couldn't handle myself when I heard that. I couldn't handle myself. Oh, I love the patter, you know. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so how did And it... then when go right ahead, you go first. Oh, I was just gonna say, so how how did it change your life when you had a hit record like that? Everybody everybody around me seemed to be like different, you know, even you know people who uh, might have been just uh say some buddies of mine became real good buddies of mine uh even during that time when uh you'd ride down the street and everybody would know and be listening to the radio station it was just different it was it was like man you know that's that's one of our hometown guys that's doing pretty good people were proud of you because in your community it it felt like yeah, man, you're doing some positive things. Yeah, I like your record, man. And it, it was to the point to where people said, man, that guy lived right there in that house. And people, no way, man. Yeah. Jimmy Bohorn. That's, that name started to really have what I call street or cred value in my neighborhood. How'd you come up with that name? I mean, I'm... Well, my, my, my name in terms of what's on my license is Jimmy H. Horn, like Jimmy Horace Horn. That was the name that my parents came up for me. But I'm a junior. My father was Jimmy Horn, Jimmy Horace Horn Sr. I'm Jimmy Horace Horn Jr. But when I was small, I used to walk what we call bow-legged. And my father named or adopted me as a nickname, Bo. So a lot of times people that lived on my street knew me better as Bo. So if you came on my street and said, listen, uh, where does uh, Jimmy Horn live? Where does he live? It would be where people would say, uh, the guy who lives there is uh, Bo Horn. And then people say, where does Jimmy live? Well, he doesn't live over on the street. That's how much they call me Bo. So everybody on my street would have a nickname. And my nickname was Bo. So in order, when I started to cut records, I said, nobody will know me just as Jimmy Horn. I'm going to keep my nickname and put Jimmy Bo Horn. And that was when people say, man, that's Bo. I was uh, bow-legged, too. Uh, I had to have braces when I was... Uh... Uh, a, a baby or a little kid. So I'm, I'm right there with you as a bow-legged brother. Um, there you go. You my bow-legged brother. Yeah. <laughs> Look here, my bow-legged brother from another mother. There you go. 
you know, it's funny because back in the day when I first uh, heard your record, you know, I thought that your last name was Bohorn. You know, I didn't know it was two separate names for a while. Yeah, yeah. But right now, um, even in on my musical experience in my life, uh, it's Bohorn. Everything right now, based on my catalog, is Jimmy Bohorn. So the only time that it's Jimmy Horn is when uh, it's it's something to do with my license or or I have to fill out something. Seems so uh, like you're predisposed uh, predisposed to loving horns since it was your name, you know. <laughs> and it was like a trademark. Yeah. You know, to the point to where during that time you had Joe Tex horns, Otis Redding horns, Wilson Pickett horns, Earth, Wind, and Fire horns, Commodores horns. Everybody had that horn thing going on. Even the the, the bands uh, that were the Ohio players and the different, everybody had horns. It was a signature. And I just love the fact that this is what I'd hear on radio. And this is exactly as to what made me realize that I definitely want horns because it, it was, it was my musical fetish. So Jimmy, who did you uh, first go out with, you know, on, on tours uh, based on the hit and uh, you know, did you do some TV appearances as well? Yeah. My first, my, my first big tour was, opening for KC of KC and the Sunshine Band because we were on the same label and um, my songs were hits and when he had out uh, That's the Way I Like It, uh, Get Down Tonight and all those songs, we had Dance Across the Floor, uh, You Get Me Hot. So he was the first artist that I went out on tour with. Later, uh, when I started touring, Overseas, it was with people like Boney M that was big in um, uh, Germany and throughout the world, uh, Gloria Gaynor, different artists, the Tramps, um, because my songs like Spank was big in New York and I got the opportunity to perform at Studio 54, the one that was in Barcelona, Spain, and the one that was in uh, New York. And they later did a movie and my song Spank was on the CD for the movie. Later, my song Dance Across the Floor was also in a um, movie for, uh, where was that? In, uh, let me see, Brazil. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of artists that have sampled uh, my songs. You know, the titles like Spank and uh, Give Me Some, those are definitely uh, harken to the James Brown uh, tie-in also. Those are song titles like he would do. It was, you know, Spank came up and it was written by Ron Lewis Smith, uh, the trumpet player that was in the Ocean Liners band that later uh, the label adopted the name of KC uh, of KC of KC and the Sunshine Band, and Ron Lewis Smith was the writer of the song Spank. When I did Spank, he educated me to to because I wanted to know, are you talking about hitting somebody? And he would say, No. He say it's it's a saying. 
You know, it's a slang. It's like whatever you do, you you want that person to do it real good. You know, and I was like, well, why you can't just say that? He's saying, trust me, this song is going to be a hit. So I said, the lyrics in here says, when you're loving me, and then it's spanked. He said, right. That means when you're loving me, I want you to do it as best you can. And I said, well, the next line says, that's how I want it to be. And he said, right. You want that person to do it the best they can. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Even with Give Me Some, it was a song where the first part of the lyrics would say, oh, darling, it's your love I need. All these songs, and then you say, give me some. That means, give me some of your love. Give me some of what I enjoy. Whether it's the walks to the park, whether it's basically just knowing that we're together. All those songs were songs where they were like-minded songs. And even my song, Is It In, where my daughter used to tease me and say, Dad, why all your songs got to do with you begging somebody to do something? And I would remind my daughter, I said, hey, those titles are just titles. Well, I also equated Spank. I, th I thought it was a uh, dance like The Freak and some of those other dances that were popular in the late 70s. Yeah, and, and, and it broke. It, in fact, every year, Spank is sampled. Even the acapella uh, voice, Spank is sampled. It comes back every year like an omen. And I sometimes think about that Spank is older than my daughter. And my daughter's, my, my daughter's in her early, 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 early 40s. Spank is older than my daughter, Nicole. Wow. So, Jimmy, is there one uh, or two you know, show or experiences from the road, memories from the road that you recall that really stand out in your mind that you could just share uh, with the viewers and listeners? Yes, yes. In terms of one good experience or one bad experience, <laughs> you tell me do, which one. You could do one of each uh, if uh, there are two that stand out. Okay, okay. Um, uh, one of my moments that I'll always remember was the first time that I uh, went to Rome, Italy. And when I was in a uh, home in West Palm Beach, I went to see this movie, Mahogany, with Diana Ross and uh, Billy Dee Williams. And when I saw that, I was like, man, that's a beautiful, beautiful movie. But my music took me to Rome, and I got a chance to go to the Colosseum, where Diana Ross, in that movie, they were at the Colosseum in this movie. When I got an opportunity to go abroad and travel, it took me places where I never thought I'd ever get the chance to ever go. And that was one of the ones where it kind of like made me feel almost like I can't believe that I'm blessed like this to where I can go into countries where people may not be able to speak the same language, but they knew all the words to my song. That was a great time. Another time was when I was in uh, 
San, not, not San Paulo, Brazil, but Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I got a chance to see the statue of Christ on the mountain. Moments like that. Now, one of, uh, well, I don't want to say that it's bad because sometimes what I think is bad is always a good lesson that I have learned from. And that is when I played James Brown's club, my band was supposed to come from uh, New Jersey to join me into um, Augusta, Georgia. When I got there with my road manager, my road manager and I were there. We got there mm, a day early. Mr. James Brown came down to the club because we got there early that morning. And he asked me, he said, Mr. Bohorn, did you have a good trip? I said, yes, sir. He said, oh, good. He said, so uh, you ready? I say, yeah. He said, uh, where's your band? I say, oh, they're on their way. He said, well, then you not here. And looked like my legs wouldn't move. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. If your band ain't here, you not here. Because you have to understand the definition of show business. And, and as I said earlier, that's when he actually made me realize the things that I did not even know. He scared me to the point to where I point blank said, this won't happen to me again. But it was a good lesson. And I never had to write down what he shared with me in terms of the definition of show business is that you have to do the business first so you can show up to do the show. And if your band ain't here, you ain't here. Hmm. There you go. Wow. Thanks for sharing those, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you learned from the, the Godfather. You can't ask for more than that. I'm telling you. And it, it, it taught me about the discipline and how when you do music that you have to basically realize that it's not just the part that's on stage. It's the part that you have to do before you get on stage that makes the on-stage experience a great one. So your, your second album, Going Home for Love, um, was there a lot of pressure to uh, you know, repeat the success of Dance Across the Floor when you went in to do that one? It probably would have been, but it was the fact that we were so close as family. It was like playing a game of uh, basketball musically to the point to where when you always got together with the guys that are so talented to where you just went right in and did what you needed to do, not knowing what it was going to come up or end up being. So I would say, no, I wasn't no pressure because the promotion side of it was a different department. Outside was the actual creative and the creative juices that we all came together from being around and, ex and actually exposed to each other. So it was never any pressure. It was fun. It was a look to itness to the point to where you realize that this is going to be fun. We're going to be together. Uh, the bass player is going to be there. The keyboard player is going to be there. The guys that make it happen, Jerome is going to come up with some funky guitar licks. The, it's going to be laughter in the studio. 
playing around. And that's how we came up with all those good songs. Mr. Casey and Mr. Rick Finch had the right formula for it where, hey, let's just do us. And let's just see first how we can create fun music. So it was never, ever any pressure. Well, you get me hot. I thought it was a great follow-up, you know, to uh, dance across the floor again. It was just you know, that punchy, mm -hmm. funky sound, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I so know that, and it was different. It was a different groove, and it was a groove that most of my stuff came up and actually materialized from all of us being together, like a good team of musicians that brought funk expressions and, and brought different expressions of music and grooves. So I have a song that was, uh, let me be your lover. And when it, when, when we point blank did let me be your lover, it was a different kind of groove. And when I went to London, England, it was a group, the stereo DJs or something that recorded it and made the song, Let Me Make Connection. That groove was the Let Me Be Your Lover groove, which was written by Casey and Rick Finch. And I want to uh, make it clear to uh, viewers and listeners that uh, some of the tracks that you already talked about, um, Spank and uh, Close to You mm -hmm. on, on that second album um if they're looking for him and uh i get lifted was that first recorded by uh kc or by you it was recorded by um george mccray first and then um benny latimo did a version of it and then i did the third version of it okay yeah um and you know a track that i really like in that album too is um without you Without You was a, was, a, was a song that Casey and Rick Finch uh, felt because they were writing at that time for Terry Desario. And I wanted a ballad because I can sing ballads really, really good. And he said, okay, we're going to write this ballad. I, and he asked me, what song do you really like, um, even if it's a cover song? And I said, Close to You by... Uh, Carpenters, but written by Burt Bacharach. And he said, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do a different arrangement of it. And uh, I felt like, okay, now people are going to be able to tell that not only can I sing energetic groove songs, but they don't know that side of Bowhorn that can sing nice ballads and they can hear exactly what I sound like as a balladeer. So Jimmy, what transpired after that? That was um, the last record for TK, right? The last album anyway. Right, right. TK had one of the experiences that most record companies was having back during that time when um, disco was going on and you had that kind of I want to say renaissance of another whole kind of music. A lot of companies had to go into 
bankruptcy. When that happened, everything, it was like the bottom fell out of the studio. And at that time, I had to learn a lesson as to how to survive. So during the, during the late, late 80s into the 90s, a lot of artists on the TK label had to learn that in terms of being able to survive, that you had to do some other things. So uh, during that time, the songs that was written before that time was the only songs that enable us to still be able to make a living. I was glad that my market overseas was such a market to where when those kind of things happen, that the European market never forgot you. And artists from America were always big overseas. And the groups from over here, uh, when it was times where music, the trendy music over here, would move fast in terms of you could be popular for 14 weeks and another song will come right out overseas you could be popular for three four five ten years and even it comes back to where they want you again it was it was almost like having a credit card to the point to where your music was your credit card that basically made you popular for i mean a, a long time so when the problem with TK came about, we had to do something else. And what I did is to start to try and write songs for myself. So you continue to perform uh, in the 80s and uh, overseas mostly, it sounds like? Yeah, yeah, mostly overseas and also with different artists domestically. And then I start to actually educate myself on how to be able to book myself. And I started a company called Joy Productions to where I would book other artists. I would also uh, put on and promote other artists and actually get to the point to where I learned how to be an agent for myself, how to be a promoter and how to manage myself and how to delegate, delegate responsibility to people that I worked with. And I have my company today and we've done so many different artists. Uh, it was a time when uh, I was working as a independent promoter for a city in Deerfield beach and I booked um, Mr. Casey <laughs> uh, for that city, um, Christopher Cross. Um, the Joy Production Company actually kept me afloat. And my old songs, all through the tough times, pulled me out of being in those tough situations financially. So I've, I've been blessed. Yeah. Wow. Great resiliency, you know? Um, and, uh, did you keep in touch much with uh, any of those, uh, TK folks, uh, you know, in the ensuing years? Yeah. Some of the guys have passed on, um, most of the rhythm section, uh, have passed on now. And then I keep in touch 
um, with Mr. KC, he's quite busy. Mr. Rick Finch has moved to, he's moved out of state. Um, Mr. Timmy Thomas, the late Timmy Thomas is like a brother. Uh, he passed back here, um, in 2022, uh, Clarence Reed passed, but I keep in touch with Mr. Benny Lattimore, who's a big brother. And I was sorry to hear about the passing of, uh, Mr. Bobby Caldwell. Mm-hmm. Cause he was on our label and Clarence Reed passed, Betty Wright passed. So, um, um, George McRae, myself, Benny Lattimore, in terms of the male singers and David Hudson, we're the pioneers of the Miami sound that's still standing. And uh, that is great news uh, that you're still around. Um, are you surprised after all these years that some of those songs, especially Dance Across the Floor, have stood up to the test of time? Listen, I'm not only surprised, I'm thankful. Those songs that are old are still in the classic category in terms of dance music in other domains. In Holland, I love uh, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, the Hague, all Jimmy Bohorn places where I can go there and people know my music and people are glad to have me come. Do you typically still play with a, a band or do you use uh, recorded music? I usually have uh, musicians. I have the best of both worlds. I play with uh, a band in Brazil called the Spank Band. And they're musicians that's already there. Um, I do uh, TV shows when I go to Italy um, that's, that's done by track. And depending on what the promoter wants, uh, most of the time I travel with my manager and a, a, a valet, a, 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 a road person that is for security. And I do the tracks when they want tracks live to tracks and i do the bands when they want bands jimmy how do you feel about uh you know having the label if someone terms it that way of a one-hit wonder um uh, now in terms of a one-hit wonders i think some now you're talking about uh, my records right yeah, if someone just knows dance across the floor and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's a great one-hit wonder," you know, that type of right. Uh, it's just it's just the fact that I don't make any judgment on that person because you can't blame the person if the person is not familiar with my catalog. So I feel that if there's an opportunity for whoever they talk with, can basically let them see that uh, this song, have you ever heard this song? Um, Gimme song. Yeah, yeah, but that's by another artist. Have you heard You Get Me Hot? Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's Jimmy Bohorn. What? I thought that he only did, uh, no, that's, that's Jimmy Bohorn. So a lot of times people are only exposed to what is played over and over in their domain. But when they realize that this man has done about five, six different songs that have all been songs that he's gotten national acclaim on. I did a cover song in Milano, Italy, 
with uh, a music company, and it was a it was the um, I'm gonna tell you Otis Redding song called "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay." When I did it, they wanted to take my version and use it for a commercial. So if you, if you say that to someone here, people will say, no, he only did uh, dance across the floor. Okay. You might be into just that kind of music that your radio or your iPhone or Pandora is exposing you to. But when you pull up the category, the, the actual catalog of Bohorn, you'll see that he's done a lot more. So when you ask me how I feel, I feel I'm thankful to, even if they know the one song, I'm thankful to that because at least they know something about Bohorn. But if they research, they'll see that I've never been a one hit wonder. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of the reason for me wanting to do this and connect with you is to, uh, you know, and, and, Lighten people that there's so much more in case that's the only one they know. So I'm glad that we've gotten to talk about so many other great tracks that you've done. And, you know, the fact of the matter is Jimmy, that, you know, one hit wonder, I don't, I, I don't think that's a negative at all, even because you know how hard it is to get a, a big major hit in the recording business. That's right. You know, that's right. That's yeah. right. And a lot of times people, you know, when you look at it, Spank soul more than dance across the floor throughout the world. Spank did. Yeah. You get me hot. Yeah. You get me hot. Uh, Is it in, in terms of the market for like DJs who mix songs and stuff, they mix more on spank. Uh, Is it in? Um, And, they mix, they, that was a group, uh, CeeLo Green and Christina Aguilera uh, wanted to come back and do a version of Dance Across the Floor. Because as you said, that was the song that they favored. And they may not know that, hey, this guy did Gimme Song. He did uh, Get Happy. That was a song it didn't go gold but it went to the top of that particular region like in the south in terms of alabama georgia whatever so it's still a question of like you said i like the way you said it i'm thankful just to have one that they know absolutely and you know it was interesting for me going back and just doing a little research to uh, prepare for you jimmy you know, I hadn't heard, uh, frankly, those pre-TK records, so I went back and listened to some of them, and it was really interesting to hear how strong, you know, like the stacks and Motown influences were in your earlier recordings. Mm-hmm. And, and I got an opportunity to, to, when I played Memphis, I got an opportunity to go to uh, Stax Records. Al Bell, uh, I was on a label with him for a while, uh, after the, you know, demise of, uh, TK records. And I had a song out called show me, show me how much you want my love that was written by Leon Franklin. And I got a chance when I did that to work with, uh, Mr. Leon Franklin, uh, Jamal is what we call him. And, uh, one of my homeboys, uh, Carl Vickers, 
uh, was instrumental also working with us on that song. And he's the Carl Vickers that was one of the uh, original people with the group LTD. Uh, he was in the group. Yeah. yeah I've had, yeah, I've, had he was, I've had him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. He, man, this guy has played with everybody. Also had, I, uh, one also, of, uh, I'll tell you. Also had Oliver C. Brown on. Do you remember him? Uh, yes, 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 yes. And wait a minute. Now, Oliver, I know, played with us early during the Sunshine Band. Yep. Is that the same Oliver? Yes. Now, you know what I remember him by? He had this big sly stone afro, but it was his real hair. Always a nice brother. Very talented. Yeah. Well, it's cool. He's still around also, uh, you know, helping uh, tell that story of uh, that great era that you came up in. And, you know, Jimmy, as you look back, is there a particular accomplishment that you're most proud of? I think one of the things that I'm proud of now is that I'm at uh, a time in my life where I realized that it's so nice to be important but it's more important to be nice and it's more important to try and be a blessing to those that are coming after me in the music business and in any business to be able to see young artists come up and teach them like James Brown taught me the actual understanding of show business because show business can show you the things sometimes that you need to see that you don't see. But when you know the business of show business, you won't get hurt by the things that you don't know because you'll know what to do to learn and to sustain. So in my life right now, I like working with artists. I like being able to know that I can put shows together. I don't have to wait or depend on an agent. I know how to be responsible for myself and I know my value now. A lot of times artists will feel like their value is only on stage. The stage life is only for a time, only for a time. But when you learn about, I need to know about publishing. I need to know about writing. I need to know also how to connect and work with people. And the things that I don't know, I need to know the people who do know, and I need to know how to manage them. I would say, that's my blessing. That's what I like most of all. Fantastic. Uh, Jimmy, before we uh, part ways, uh, is there a, a website or some other places people can go to keep up with what you're doing? Um, my manager, um, Ms. Beverly Swan, 561-333-8018. Uh, they can, she can always be reached by Joy Productions, Inc. at AOL.com. When they, when, when they go there, they're going to have Jimmy Bohorn everywhere because I'm an old timer. And if you call me and you tell me, say, hey, I like your music. Next thing you know, I might say to them, give me your address and I'll send you most of my songs, if not all of them, because I like the fact that when people, 
let me know, hey, man, I was six years old. Hey, man, I was this. I was that, and I follow your music. That makes me feel like they're giving me my roses while I can smell them. Well, I think I speak for a lot of uh, viewers and listeners when I say that we're so glad that you're still, you know, getting us happy and dancing across the floor, spanking and all that great stuff, Jimmy. Yes. And uh, I want them to look forward to also the fact that I got a new product coming out and I've got a release coming out and it's called Starting Tonight. And it's going to be released uh, overseas uh, on May 5th. And it's going to be released domestically June 2nd, June 2nd. So they'll be able to get it on all the platforms. And um, if anybody is into Bohorn, I thank God for you. Fantastic. We'll definitely look forward to that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.